Buffalo's the fucking Canucks. No, 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 no. You're listening to Halford and Bruff. Stone back to the near side. Petrangelo, he scores. Petrangelo cutting into the slot received the beautiful pass from the far wall. Once they scored one, it was like, uh oh, here we go again. And uh, we, we're back on our heels, and they came at us. Viva Monday night football! Monday night! ESPN! Monday night! Good morning, Vancouver. 6.01 on a uh, Tuesday. It is Halford. It is Bruff. It is Sportsnet. 6.50. We are coming to you live from the Kintech Studios in beautiful Fairview Slopes in Vancouver. Jason, good morning. Good morning. Uh, A-Dog, good morning to you. Good morning. And Laddie, good morning to you. And congratulations on maybe the best intro we've ever had <laughs> in show history. That Hello and thank you. Yeah. Uh, Halford and Bruff in the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura Dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. We are also coming to you live from the beautiful Kintech Studios. As I mentioned earlier, Jason, tell the people more about Kintech. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics. They know how to hold a two-goal lead. They are also Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at kintech.net yeah when when the intro started nobody told me this was going to happen and i was like oh good i'm gonna have to yell at some producers because they screwed it up what they didn't watch the end of this game they just assumed they just assumed that the canucks won they just assumed that argentina won yes can you believe it so here's the here's the weird thing about our show is that there's a certain comfort i think for me anyway knowing that Almost nothing happens when we're <laughs> asleep because we don't sleep very much at night. And like last night, we're up till what, 1030 watching the Canucks game. Yeah. Got to be up at 430. So you can usually rest comfortably knowing that nothing of significance is going to happen while you're sleeping, meaning you can be fully prepped to talk about anything, anything for the morning show because you're prepping all night. Now, Jason, we only have to try and digest one of the biggest upsets in the history of of global football. I'm That's surpri- all. I'm surprised I told you about this and you didn't know it when I came in. Because this is what I did in the morning. Mm-hmm. My alarm went off. I went, oh, God, not again. Yeah. Another show talking about a blown Canucks lead. Let and me I just, sat there and cried. Let me just look at my phone here and, and check some World Cup scores. And then I went, what? I'm not going to lie. <laughs> the only reason I didn't check right away is because I did not think this was within the realm of possibility. For those of you that have no idea what we are talking about right now, uh, in a match that kicked off at 2.30 in the morning our time, one of the greatest upsets in World Cup history took place as Saudi Arabia, yes, Saudi Arabia, ranked 51st in the world. That's one spot lower than Qatar. I'll get into that later. Uh, stunned Argentina 2-1. Lionel Messi in Argentina, who had been undefeated since 2019. A 36-match undefeated streak snapped like that in the opening game of the World Cup. Man, 2-1. Saudi Arabia you know, beats Argentina. What a year for Saudi sports. They, they're, they've they torn yes. apart golf as, <laughs> as we know it. They, they bought Newcastle, and Newcastle is currently in a Champions League spot, and now they've gone to their neighbors in Qatar. Yeah. And who they've had some dicey relationships with them in the last few years. 
but things seem to be better now. And they've gone to Qatar and upset one of the tournament favorites. People are talking about uh, for Argentina, it's reminiscent of 1990 when Cameroon and Roger Mila. Uh, upset Maradona in Argentina. Now, Argentina was still able to get out of their group there, and Argentina should still be able to get out of their group. But we talked about this, um, and we were talking about more about Canada facing Belgium. There are upsets in the World Cup. Like this, this, this group, stuff. Group stage happens. always crazy stuff. Always this happens. This stuff happens. In the group stage. Yeah. You know, um, what are some of the ones that you remember? Maybe Ireland beating Italy in, in USA '94. Yep. In USA '94, yep. that one stands out for me. There are all sorts of upsets in the. Was it the World Cup hosted by Korea and Japan? Yeah, the hosts. I mean, were 2002, which is when South Korea and Turkey made it all the way to the final four, right? right? And you're looking at it now. And again, it's more about the competition because with all due respect to this Saudi team, uh, it, is a, it is a roster comprised entirely of domestic players. So all the players play in the Saudi league, right? There's no one playing in any of the big five European squads. They also, if you remember last World Cup, they were thrashed in the group stage by Russia mm-hmm. 5-0. So they have not had, they've had a long history of success qualifying and getting out of Asia. They're perennially in the World Cup. But at the World Cup, they really haven't had this kind of level of success, obviously, because this is one of the biggest upsets in World Cup history. Uh, now the attention really does turn to um, to an Argentinian team that got out of the group stage that round of 16 and were dumped by France. So, And it's just even more pressure on Messi. Exactly. Who, um, who did score today. Who did score, but if there has been a knock on him, mm-hmm. it's that Argentina when he's been their best player, hasn't done much at these major tournaments. What's coming up on the uh, show today? Before we do that, I will tell you this soccer report is brought to you by CertainTeed, the pro's choice for roofing, siding, drywall, insulation, and ceiling systems. CertainTeed Pro all the way. Uh, real quick before we get into what happened, this is actually like the live, what's happening at this very moment. Uh, Denmark and Tunisia are in the second half. There's four World Cup games today. So Denmark and Tunisia in the second half, it is a, it is a goalless draw. Ah, the entertainment of global football. Uh, so we'll keep an eye on that one as well. So again, this soccer report brought to you by CertainTeed, the pro's choice for roofing, siding, drywall, insulation, and ceiling systems. CertainTeed pro all the way. What's happened at the last World Cup in Russia, but not convincingly, right? It, it was a bit of a struggle. And then they got into that happening on the show, my friend here asked. Uh, 6.30, Greg Wyshynski is going to join us. Busy night in the National Hockey League last night. A lot of stories to get into. A bunch of Canadian teams in action. Uh, the New Jersey Devils may never lose another hockey game, again, for the rest of time. They have now won 13 in a row. I believe the record is 17. They're one away from matching their franchise record. We can get let Wish bask in the glory of his beloved Devils. Uh, we, that'll be up at 6.30, 7 o'clock. Adam Maglio, who is the associate coach of the Vancouver Giants. Giants have a big week this week as the, the, the traveling Connor Bedard show comes to town. We'll also ask Adam about his playing career. Um, now, I don't have the name in front of me. Does anyone remember the name of the team that he played it? Yeah, the Hong Kong Tycoons. The Tycoons, thank you. One of my favorite outfits. That's a real name of a real team that he played for when he wrapped up his playing career and then quickly transitioned into coaching. We'll ask Adam all about that at 7. 7.30 with an asterisk beside it. Joshua Cloak from the uh, Athletic uh, global soccer writer, also based out of Canada. He is currently in Qatar, so we'll see what kind of cell reception we get, if we're able to get a hold of him. He's been having some connection issues, but if we can, we'll talk to Josh about, obviously, 
the biggest upset of the tournament, the biggest upset I'd say in the last 30 to 40 years at a World Cup. Uh, Josh will be at 7.30, again, assuming we can get connectivity. 8 o'clock, Thomas Drantz. The Drantzer is going to join us in the wake of yet another blown lead by the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, This time, it was after a furious rally to get a multi-goal lead in the third period. 5-4 loss to the Vegas Golden Knights last night. Drantzer at 8 o'clock to talk about that. So, working in reverse, 8 o'clock, it's the Drantzer. 7.30, 7.30, Josh Cloak. 7 o'clock, Adam Maglio. 6.30, it's Greg Wyshynski. I mentioned the four World Cup games. Poland-Mexico is later this morning at 8. Australia, good day, mate. Uh, they are up against France at 11. And then we've got a uh, really slow night in sports, actually. Just two NHL games, four NBA games, as the World Cup will probably continue to take center stage. Okay, that is what's happening on the program today. Gentlemen, dogs, let's tell everybody what happened. <laughs> Did you guys see the game last night? No. What happened? I missed all the action because I was... We know how busy your life can be. What happened? Missed that? You missed that? What happened? Folks, they did it again. The Vancouver Canucks blew yet another multi-goal lead. This time, almost all of it, getting the lead and blowing it happened in the third period. And it ended when Alex Petrangelo scored the go-ahead goal with just under six minutes remaining. The Vegas Golden Knights rally past the Canucks to win 5-4 at Rogers Arena on Monday night. It would be upsetting if it wasn't so predictable. Uh, so a lot of people are arguing about why is this happening. And my response to all of you who are arguing, regardless of which side you're on, you're all right. You're all correct in your analysis. The people that want to blame Thatcher Demko. Yeah, Demko hasn't played well this year. Yep. Not even not even, you know, the the most ardent goaltender apologist would sit there and say, no, Thatcher Demko has been great. He's been he's been terrific. The people that don't want to blame Demko and they want to blame the defense in front of the Canucks, and that extends to the centers, the the wingers, the and then obviously the defensemen. You're right as well. Mm-hmm. You, you want to blame the coaching staff? Blame the coaching staff for not providing structure, not teaching enough. Uh, you're right as well. You want to blame the management for creating kind of a negative atmosphere and throwing in um, comments and criticisms and perhaps creating a bit of a fragile group. You're also correct. This is a perfect storm of Vancouver Canucks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Now, uh, I obviously have a – got to stop saying obviously. I sound like Bo Horvat. Obviously. Uh, obviously, I need to stop saying obviously so much. Yes. Uh, start correcting me on that. Stop uh, saying I, obviously, you big idiot. I'm looking to provide more structure on this show. Obviously. Uh, Tighten it up. Well, there are just a lot of obvious mistakes the Canucks are making right now. Uh, defensively, they are not a good team. And when you combine that with the fact that Thatcher Demko is struggling and having probably the worst struggles of his professional career and possibly his life yes. when it comes to hockey, this is what you get. Yeah. You get all these blown leads. You get a team that doesn't look confident when it's trying to protect the lead. It's you, you get a team that doesn't look like it trusts each other out there. You get a team that runs around in its own zone. It's pointing out, you know, you take that guy. No, you take that guy. You take who was taking that guy because he just scored. That's what you get, and that's what the Canucks are right now. It's a very, very disappointing way to head out on a three-game road set that, let's be honest, uh, could decide the future of Bruce Boudreaux. Because at a certain point, 
they cannot, cannot keep doing this. At a certain point, there has to be a breaking point, even if it's just like we saw last night. By the way, I thought that was a very telling shot from a, from a very adept Sportsnet cameraman when the Mark Stone – it was a Mark Stone goal, right? They got uh, chalked off due to – The debris, de- debris goal. The debris goal, as it's henceforth been known. Uh, for those the, br- that, the break that the Canucks should have been able to take advantage of. Or, or... Right, so a couple things on that. Um, one, and for those that missed it, I'll explain it really briefly. A puck got shot essentially into that tiny camera well that's carved into the glass in the Canucks zone in the third period. It hit the camera. A piece of the camera went onto the ice. Play continued. Vegas scored. Then right after Vegas scored, uh, the camera immediately panned up to Jim Rutherford Patrick Alvin and Emily Castonguay uh, in their suite at Rogers Arena, and it just had Rutherford in g- going on one. You know those walks where you just like, I gotta go for a walk. I can't watch this. I can't sit here. I just gotta go for a walk. That's what it looked like to me. That's it. I'm out of here. Right. You're just like, that's it. I'm going to do something else other than watch this happen. Now, the timing of it was a tad ironical because the goal actually didn't stand. Bruce Boudreaux successfully challenged for debris on the ice. I don't think that was the official challenge, but uh, there was debris on the ice. Bruce challenged. They won. Not only, And it was actually one of his better coaching moves, to be honest, even though I think everyone knew it had to be challenged. But the challenge allowed the team to take a two- or three-minute break to catch its collective breath and say, okay, you know what? We've collapsed a little bit here in the third. Let's try and get our composure and go back at this in a 4-4 game. That lasted all of two and, two and a half minutes. The fragility of this group is actually a sight to behold. It is actually, it's magisterial to see a team so thoroughly lose its collective crap when, when they're doing well. When they're that's doing what well, I don't that's, understand. that's frustrating because they went into the third period trailing two to one and they scored a bunch of goals in like three or four minutes. Bo Horvat gets his 15th. Luke Shen gets one. Petey scores his 10th and it's four to two. And I'm writing the notes for the show, and here's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking, okay, yesterday what we did was we talked about how the last time they went on a two-game winning streak and they were looking to improve that to three, they kind of laid an egg against New Jersey. Now, in hindsight, the Devils are a very good team, and they haven't lost since then, but still – they didn't. They they weren't able to carry the momentum from the Pittsburgh win. Remember that six hundred years ago, the Pittsburgh win. They weren't ca- able to carry that momentum. Mm-hmm. So can they carry the momentum this time? Because they've won two in a row and they had a really solid performance against the LA Kings on Friday night. And Thatcher Demko looked good. Yeah, he got a little bit lucky with some posts and crossbars, but you know what? He deserved that, and he was able to uh, to dial it in, and, and the Canucks played a really strong game overall, and the arena was jumping, and everyone was happy, and the vibes were through the roof. Brock Besser finally got some goals. Uh, you know, Curtis Lazar was back in the line. Everyone's feeling good and energetic. Can they carry that on? And when they got that 4-2 lead, I'm like, okay, all right. Now we've got a show. Now we've got a different kind of show on Tuesday morning where we can talk about what can they do with this? Where can they bring this? And then they Canucks. Yep. That's pretty much it. I, I think, to be honest, that this group, this group's confidence is so low, so low right now. And their belief that they can hold any kind of lead is so shattered that there might not be any fixing it. And by that, I mean, I don't know if the guy behind the bench is going to be the one to be able to fix it. I don't think this is any fault of Boudreaux. 
but I don't think he's got the solutions to this problem. I don't know if another coach does or not, but the Canucks have played 19 games this year. In seven of them, they've had multi-goal leads. In seven games, they've had not just a one-goal cushion, but at least a two-goal cushion, and in a couple certain instances, three-goal cushions. And they have continuously shown an inability to do anything you need to do to be able to hold a lead. Anything. It, they don't wait a long time between scoring the go-ahead goals, plural, and allowing one. That was last night in a nutshell. How many times this year have we heard, what's the PA guy's name again? Or, or Al Murdoch. How many times have we heard Al Murdoch announcing a Canucks goal? Yeah. And then the opposition scoring a goal. It's been countless times this year. PD scored at uh, 6-11 to make it 4-2 last night. William Carrier scored at 6-54, so within the minute. Now, they were doing the little woo when he scored. The, and it happens with great regularity. Here's another thing. The Canucks have been on the end of some very beneficial video replays already this season. I can think back to Rod Brindamore's ill-advised challenge in the Carolina game where that got him a break. Oh, there, yeah. Remember we thought that's the, that's the call that's going to turn the Canucks season around. And there was How another, naive There we was were. another one at home, and it was a third-period goal that got wiped out where a lot of people were like that. I can't remember if it was Nashville or someone else. Anyway, they've had calls go their way where they've basically gotten a second or third kick at the can or bite at the apple, and they show no resiliency. They show no guts, no gusto, no bravado, nothing. And I, at a certain point, I do wonder if that little snapshot, and granted it was a snippet and who knows, Rutherford could have had to go to the bathroom. <laughs> but I think it just, it was, it was cast on Gay's face. It was the, the, the thousand yard, million yard stare from Patrick Alvine. You just saw a group that might have reached its exasperation point. Or if they haven't, they sure as hell might coming up because now they have to go to the defending Stanley Cup champion Colorado Avalanche in Denver on Wednesday. They got to go Saturday night back to Vegas. And by the way, I know that the Canucks had a multi-goal lead in the third period, and I know that they played well at the start of the third period to get that lead, but a lot of the metrics in that game show that the ice was fairly tilted in favor of Vegas. Maybe it didn't necessarily play out with the eye test, but if you want to go to all the fancies, all the nerdlinger, I mean, uh, high danger chances, overall shot metrics, it all favored Vegas because Vegas is a better team. And I think Vegas did show some good resiliency there. The other thing, finally, as I put a bow on this, is I don't know what they're going to do with Demko. I don't know what they're going to do in terms of the next three games. I don't know what the long-term outlook is. I'm not talking about trading Thatcher Demko or sending him to Abbotsford or any other of your crazy things, so don't bother wasting the money on the text. Don't send it. Just saying, I don't know what you do if you're the coach right now. Because mm -hmm. he finally gave you the slightest glimmer of hope on Friday against L.A., where it wasn't just him playing well, but the bounces were also going. Oh, well. he also looked terrific through the first two periods. And then it last just night, and, and then, then it, it just fell completely apart. fell apart. Yeah, and that is one. It's reflective of a group that has no confidence whatsoever. But two, it's very alarming for a guy that when you thought his game was trending in the right direction, he goes out and has that third period in a game that, if you look at the schedule and mm -hmm. whether you believe in the playoffs or not, the Canucks needed that game last night. They absolutely did. They knew what was facing them this week. They knew what was facing them in the next two games, and they kind of got handed a gift by Vegas. You're up 4-2 on Vegas. They're on the road. 
you got to find a way to lock it down. That starts with Demko, and it goes to the Blue Liners, who were junk last night, by the way. Well, the forwards were bad, too. And like, the forwards were – I was just going to get to that. Yeah. The forwards are bad, too, right? Miller and Horvat were on for a ton of goals. I lost track of the amount of even-strength goals or five-on-five five goals Miller's been on for this year, but I think it's 15. Yeah. So take your pick. It's a laundry list of issues. And at this point, I mean, I don't know, even you, like you're the sad club commission. I've seen Mount Bruff explode on a number of occasions, but there does seem to be real one apathy setting in Mm -hmm. and two, the Groundhog Day effect, like, holy hell, here we go again. I I was talking off air with with you guys, and I've also had these conversations with my friends. I'm like, thank God for the World Cup because the World Cup has stories that are new. Yes. You know, we, we had a crazy upset this morning with the Saudis beating Argentina, which is insane. Um, Canada just wrapped up its press conference over in Qatar ahead of its game against Belgium. Canada playing its first match in the World Cup since 1986, and that's tomorrow. And thank God we get to talk about this because this is cool. This is new. This is unexpected. The Canucks are – we've seen this movie. Even last night, like, was it an entertaining game? I suppose, but – Entertainment for me, you need to have stakes. It it needs to matter. And the Canucks have once again dug this hole where you're kind of like, "Ah, man, their chances of making the playoffs are pretty slim. So these games are just, they take on the feel of a bit of an exhibition. Well, do you know what I mean? And that's terrible. Not even a quarter of the way through the season where I'm not even thinking about the playoffs. Right now, I, I guess the stakes right now would be, all right, when are they going to fire the coach? Yeah. When are they going to do something? That would be the stakes. I don't know. Okay, I, let, let's focus on this Canada press conference that I just mentioned because um, we will talk some soccer later on in the show, but Greg Wachinski is coming up next, so we're going to be talking more hockey. John Herdman, the coach, says that Canada is healthy. Yeah, Canada is in a position – where it can field its strongest team, the dark clouds have shifted. Who says that uh, soccer folks can be a bit theatrical, uh, a bit bit dramatic? So poetic. Uh, So the Herdman mind game is actually uh, started before the press conference because he, uh, he showed up late. And that forced the Belgians to go first at the podium. And then Canada was supposed to go first and then Belgium. Was that intentional or did someone just sleep through their alarm? I like to think that everything John Herman does is intentional. John Herman does not strike me as someone that doesn't do something unless it is meticulously planned. So a little bit of mind games there. And then they came forward. And I think he wanted to fire the salvo that um, Belgium's missing Lukaku. And, you know, Belgium had a rocky final friendly losing to Egypt before coming to the World Cup, and all the pressure is on Belgium. And here come the Canadians, who are at 100% full strength. And I think the other thing that they've been talking about is don't play with fear and be adaptable. And I think that all those things are going to be front and center. Like, I have a feeling that Herman's going to let the restrictor plate off a little bit to start. I think he... He's done it in moments, and I think we really saw it in World Cup qualifying. I don't know if you remember, like, the first 15 or 20 minutes against Mexico at Ice Teca, but it was hilarious. Like, it was almost like watching a hockey team where the coach is like, and get in hard on the forecheck and smash some bodies. Yeah. They Gr- were gorillas coming out of a cage. Right. They were smashing. It was like Alistair Johnson had a, a very crunching slide tackle in the first 10 or 15 minutes. I don't know if you remember. I think Daniil Henry 
caught, I think it was Herving Lozano on a header and just laid him out. He was parallel to the ground and got a yellow. And I'm it, actually a little worried about Alistair Johnson going out there and like taking a red card right away because he gets so fired up. Yeah. I, I like him as a player. He's got a tremendous passion, but I'm just curious to see how these Canadians are going to perform on the big stage. The Belgians, mm-hmm. for the most part, will, will be used to playing in these games. The Canadians won't. Now it can go <laughs> can go in a good way where you've got that energy and you've got that excitement, but it can also uh, go in a bad way in that things can unravel and then all of a sudden you're sitting there going, we were so excited to get here and now uh, this Belgian team is kind of taking advantage of us a little bit like Uruguay did. Yes, that's true. Okay, so on the subject of the health that you were talking about, the big one was Alfonso Davies. And uh, John Herdman during his press conference today said that the Canadian superstar has hit quote-unquote top speed. That was the big thing over the last four or five days of training was they were wondering – in the the collective media is only allowed to watch 15 minutes of a training session at the World Cup. And during those 15 minutes, a lot of the Canadian journalists made note of the fact that while Davies was running, he wasn't going at the top 100% full sprinting speed that some of his teammates were. Right. A lot of people were then asking, is that because his hamstring is still bothering him? Well, apparently it's not. Alfonso is good to go. He has hit quote-unquote top speed, which for him is literally the top speed. There's no other human that can run as fast in this World Cup, if I'm not mistaken. So what does it all mean? Uh, It's very good vibes for Canada going into tomorrow's match. I think that uh, Herdman has got a Herculean task in front of him. He's going to have to try and control the emotion and the excitement and the energy of their first World Cup match in 36 years. He's also got to let them get after Belgium at times because that's what their strength is, especially in attack. But he also can't get into something like the aforementioned Uruguay match where they conceded early and Uruguay just kind of salted the match away. Should we just call call it Uruguay? Uruguay? Yeah, Yeah. we could. I don't know. I like rolling my R's sometimes. Mm -hmm. Eric Erzberg. That's pretty good. my favorite. Yeah, okay. So we've got a lot to get into on the show. We're going to dive back into the hockey talk next with Greg Wyshynski from ESPN, NHL analyst for ESPN. We'll talk about the Devils beating the Oilers for their 13th straight win. Uh, The Bruins are 17-2 and this season. I don't even know how that's possible. How do you win 17 of your first 19 games? So on the on the sports, I mean, I know you outscored the opposition 17 of 19 times, but still. On the sports highlights last night, they showed the, the Canucks blowing the lead for the millionth time this season. And then the next story was Bruins win again, and Patrice Bergeron gets his thousandth point. That's what right. an amazing player. I was like, you know what? I'm going to bed. Greg Wyshynski is coming up next on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Time now for Sportsnet 650 traffic from the City News 1130 Air Patrol. Six thirty-three on a Tuesday. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Halford and Bruff of the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. That music can only mean one thing. It's time now for Greg Wyshynski from ESPN here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Good morning, Wish. How are you? Good morning. I uh, witnessed history last night uh, <laughs> as I was in the house, the sold-out house for the Devils' 13th consecutive victory, <laughs> tying 
a franchise record. So it was a, it was a very exciting night uh, last night. You know, it's funny when you when we announced that you were going to be on the show this morning. I said we'll give Wish a couple uninterrupted minutes to bask in the glory that is the New Jersey Devils. I'm not going to lie, especially after a couple games this year, I did not have New Jersey 13 game winning streak on my bingo card. Uh, you know, I figured the Fire Lindy chance would maybe prevent them <laughs> from winning 13 in a row. But here we are. How on earth are they doing this? Because winning a bunch of games is one thing, but 13 in a row, that's pretty wild. And again, you mentioned one off the franchise record. Yeah, I wrote about this last week and kind of a pulling back the curtain on what's gone right for them. And, and it's a few things. Uh, first off, obviously, number one is health. Uh, last season, Dougie Hamilton, Nico Heischer, Jack Hughes only played together in 27 games uh, due to their injuries and, and lineup absences. So, the, the Holy Trinity, the Triple H, if you will, boys, of the Devils being healthy uh, has been a real key. Uh, the second key is they're getting saves. Uh, Vitek Vanacek, uh, from a lot of this streak, was just kind of like doing what was necessary to keep them in games and to get stops at big times. But last night he was great, uh, and his save percentage has now crept up all the way to, I think, around 9.15. So in the collection of offseason goaltending acquisitions, uh, Vanacek is, is top tier right now, I think, as far as effectiveness. And the final thing is that, you know, last year they created off the rush a lot. They were a really good offensive team. Problem being is that they had an inability to clean up their messes if the other team uh, went back the other way on a turnover. And they've really done a hell of a job fixing that. You know, the, the, the third forward into the zone has been more responsible in getting back defensively. Both John Marino and Jonas Siegenthaler have been great uh, in their own zone, not only stopping chances but then transitioning to offense. It's the, 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 to watch the Devils on the rush is to watch what hockey should look like in, in 2022 in the sense of it's fast, it's creative, but it's also really tenacious defensively, and, and it just makes for really exciting hockey. Did you expect John Marino to be this important to the New Jersey Devils and this good? No, I didn't expect him to be this good. I, I did expect him to be this important because, you know, there's not a whole lot of guys that do what he does on that blue line. Um, but I, I will say this, you know, I was talking to some people in Pittsburgh when I was there writing a story on the Penguins uh, in training camp, and a lot of them said, you know, the cap casualty that he was at some point they could regret it, but at the same time, it did feel like in Pittsburgh that he had sort of reached the end of his, of his line there with them and, and maybe needed a, a change in scenery. And I had one person tell me that, you know, the change in scenery to a team like the Devils, who, you know, before the season obviously were a, a team that had a, you know, a below 400 points percentage and, and was a, seen as sort of a rebuilding team, might, might do him good because he needed to be uh, – for lack of a better word, a little bit more humble. <laughs> so, so maybe this change was a shock to his system, and, and he's been absolutely terrific. I mean, in both of their wins against Edmonton, was, uh, was tasked with trying to handle McDavid and, and handled McDavid as, as best you can, I think, in this league. So what has the fan reaction been to Lindy Ruff? Uh, they're chanting to fire him uh, very early in the season. And then they, I saw an apology chant, which I've never seen ever watching sports. Um, and I was actually thinking, you know, what if he wins coach of the year 
and he gets up he gets to go and accept his award knowing that the fans were chanting for him to be fired in was that game two of the season like it's a terrific story it's a terrific story um what has the fan reaction been in new jersey with with lindy ruff well you know uh election day uh, recently passed here in the states he was elected governor of new jersey isn't that incredible i didn't even know as a canadian he was eligible uh no he's listen I think he's had a, a pretty good humor about it. Uh, when they chanted, sorry, Lindy, he said he, he and the coaches didn't really hear the chant, but then he offered to uh, one day have a beer with the fans and laugh about it, which I think is probably the right, the right tact. Um, internally, you know, I, I, wrote a, I, I wrote about this at the end of last season, that internally the Devils were 50-50 on whether or not Lindy Ruff should return. And that shocked a lot of Devils fans because uh, they all thought he should be fired because of how bad the team has been under his watch. And the reason that they were 50-50 is that under the hood, the underlying numbers would tell you that his system was doing some really good things. You know, they were getting offensive chances, uh, pointed to them being a very, very good offensive team. But the injuries, the absolutely horrible goaltending they've had for at least the last two or three seasons um, were undercutting all of the good things that he was doing as coach. So there was a sense of, all right, let's run it back with Lindy. Let's see what happens. We'll add a few pieces. Hopefully the goaltending solidifies. And then lo and behold, their, their wager was correct in the sense that the, this team and, and the way it's built and, and the talent that they have and the speed that they have when implementing his, his system um, is incredibly effective to the tune of, of 13 straight wins. We're speaking to Greg Wyshynski from ESPN here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. I think under any other circumstance, a team going on a 13-game winning streak and having a 16-3 and record through 19 games would get them top spot in their conference, but not in the East because that belongs to Boston, who in not as spectacular fashion because their winning streak isn't as long. Seven consecutive wins for the Bruins, and they're 17-2. and two. Like, I didn't even think this was possible to be 17-2 and two through 19 games. Hey, Halford, it's pretty remarkable. Plus 40 goal differential in 19 games. Like we're, we're obvi- They're good. We knew that the Bruins were good. I don't think anyone expected them to be this good. And they've been so good for so long that I think we maybe take it for granted. But this is a remarkable start to the season. They haven't lost at home. They are 17-2 through 19 games with Jason mentioned, a plus 40 goal differential. Like, that is dominance in an NHL that's supposed to be a parity league. Yeah, that's why it was. It took me aback for a second when Jason mentioned, you know, Lindy Ruff winning the Jack Adams. I'm like, you mean Jim Montgomery is Jack Adams? Like, <laughs> yeah. we've basically just handed the coach of the year to him, like, straight away, not only because of how good they've been, but because the Bruins, to a man, credit Montgomery with changing the vibe on that team. And also, obviously, he has just a tremendous backstory and a, and a redemption arc to get back to, uh, to a head coaching job in this league. Um, I'll, I'll push back on the idea that. We all thought they'd be good. I think there was a number of people that thought that the Bruins' window might close this year, uh, not only just because of the law of diminishing returns that you know people also predicted for the Penguins and the Capitals, but also because of, of them missing Charlie McAvoy yeah. and, and Brad Marchand early in the season, and the, th- and the thought of well, if they get off the blocks poorly, like you know this could be a tough run for them. And then not only do they get them back earlier than expected, but you know, Marchand comes back. I think the team at that point had lost one game. McAvoy comes back. I think the team at that point had lost two games. And they, they, don't, they not only 
forge through those uh, lineup uh, deficits, mm-hmm. but uh, but did so being the best team in the league. It's it's remarkable to see two things that I think were underrated, boys. One was the return of David Krejci, um, which reset their center depth chart and and obviously gives them a player they're very familiar with who fits really well and, and who obviously is still very productive. And their acquisition of Hampus Lindholm at the deadline last year was seen very much in the moment of, okay, they're, they're trying to make a push. They acquired this guy and not really in the long term of him being a tremendously good defenseman who, you know, off the blocks this season has been one of the better offensive D men in the league. That, that acquisition low key really kind of set up things for them off the, uh, at the beginning of this season, because him, him being on the roster and playing as well as he did, really did help them overcome not having McAvoy there at the start. So uh, the Devils added John Marino, and that's paid off. The Bruins uh, added Hampus Lindholm, and that's really paid off. Of course, the Canucks added Riley Stillman. So yeah. for them, take that um, NHL. Yeah, uh, listen, wish uh, we got to talk about the Canucks. They blew another multi-goal lead last night. This one at home, they had a four-two lead in the third period. After scoring three goals in the third period to go up four-two yeah. on Vegas, and then they frittered it away again. Everyone is to blame. The goaltending. The defense, the coaching staff, management, ownership, the Finn, the mascot, has not been at his best this season, especially (laughs) when the Canucks have had the lead. Um, It just seems like we're just waiting for something to happen in in Vancouver because things, the same story keeps playing out over and over again, and yet Bruce Boudreaux is still the head coach. Are you hearing anything around the league about the Canucks about what they might do? Yeah, am I here? Yeah, I'm hearing every time Jim Rutherford opens his mouth uh, that there's something they might do. Yeah, I, I think I think Finn the mascot's the only person who's escaped his ire so far in, in the in the interviews that he's done. Look, I mean, the anticipation obviously that is that Bruce is going to be the first coach fired. I mean, I, you know, I, I think the the notion that he's only there throughout through contractual obligation, the notion that Jim Rutherford has been anything but subtle in his criticism of, of the team and, and the way it's been coached. I mean, it all leads to some, someplace pretty obvious on top of the fact that Rutherford didn't hire him. Um, it's just a matter of when. And, and the, I think you bring up a really interesting point, which is that usually coaching changes not only address a, a, the need for a change in, in voice or, you know, the end of, a, of, of an era or whatever for the guy that you're getting rid of, but it also signals a chance to sort of change the way that the team plays. And, and you know, that sometimes can be we're, we're firing the, the friendly, happy uh, co- players coach for the, 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 the Tortorelli and disciplinarian. But it can also mean that we've identified the problem with the team is that they can't defend and we're going to go get the guy that, that coaches uh, to defend. So who does that end up being? I don't know, but it wouldn't shock me if the reaction to let's fire Bruce Boudreaux is to then bring in somebody who's going to try to like clean up some of the defensive deficiencies that we've seen on the team. And again, there's only so much you can do when the personnel is the personnel, but you certainly can stylistically change the way you play in order to tighten up a little bit. Besides Barry Trotz, who would be a guy out there that might be able to help the Canucks play better in their own end? I don't know. You want to play the Babcock game? 
No. <laughs> let's play it. Honestly, no. let's let's no. play it. Alfred no. doesn't want to play it, but no, no, but, no, no. But maybe, maybe. Uh, Wish are you are you are you hearing anything about that, or are no. you just? What am I, you, what am I hearing? What, what what do I got? Moles in Vancouver? Of course not. You're, you're, where's you're, Babcock these days? Yeah, where is this, Babcock? This is, this is, let me what are you, you hearing? Wish. Way, hold on. Let me tell you the way this works. The way this works is that the coach gets fired, and then everybody starts talking. You know, coaches' agents start talking. The coaches themselves start talking. Rare do you hear the, 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 you know, the people lining up outside the door taking a number when a coach still has his job. That's not – the fraternity likes to keep these things on the down low. Mm. I mean, unless you're Barry Trotz openly saying he wants, <laughs> yeah. you know, Sheldon Keefe's job. There was <laughs> I mean, that. Besides that. But, no, I mean, the way it usually works is that a coach gets fired and then we start to hear immediately not only – you know, from the, from the team itself who might be on their radar. And, and then not only the speculation of, well, what are the, the several dozen connections that Jim Rutherford has uh, in his own uh, past that could result in a coach? I mean, you know, Rick Tockett would be one that would come to mind immediately, right? Uh, as far as somebody who's got history with Rutherford, who would come in and, and probably change stylistically what the Canucks do. Um, and then you, you, you start to get a real sense of what the candidates are that will actually be in the running for the gig. Um, you know, part of, part of the mystery is the fact that, you know, if you fire Boudreaux, are you doing it at a time and do you believe in the team enough that you think that this thing can turn around? And, and everything that Rutherford has said is that he believes in the roster, right? I mean, it, he, mm. he kind of owns it now, has been, you know, stated multiple times, even though Benning built it. Uh, so you would imagine that any coaching change is going to be with an eye towards turning the season around versus – you know, trying to bring in a, ter- a caretaker to end up in the draft lottery, and then we'll just yeah. try again next season. You know, it's interesting because some of the teams that we've already talked about, like Boston and then the ones that we haven't talked about, Vegas and Dallas and Winnipeg, those are all teams that kind of did the coach reshuffling thing. Like, it wasn't anything new or innovative. Like, DeBoer left Vegas and went to Dallas. Cassidy left Boston and went to Vegas. And Bonus left Dallas and went to Winnipeg. It was the recycling program, but those teams have all had great starts to the season. They've really responded to a new head coach. With that, you know, hanging in the balance, I just wonder, you know, how have they gone so long when it's very clearly on record that they're not happy with the coaching performance thus far. And this is a team last year that was criticized for waiting way too long before they eventually got rid of Travis Green. Nothing about this season makes sense right now, and this is one of the things at the top of that doesn't make sense list because I just don't understand what's going on other than there's still a public sentiment that really likes Boudreaux locally, and they're still doing the Bruce There It Is chance. So I don't know if that needs to turn first, but... You look at the landscape of the NHL, you look at how much this team continually blows leads, and you just wonder, at what point does, uh, does this just become a finality, that you just have to move on and get a new head coach? Why did you mention ownership in that, like, out of curiosity? Because, like, again, you, you think about why this guy's in a gig now. It's probably because the person who – you'd have to say it's the person who hired him, right? And that yeah. wasn't Jim Rutherford. So, I mean – you know, due respect to the fans and, and their power within the market and stuff. But, I mean, if you talk about why Bruce Boudreau is still the head coach, and, again, you read between the lines of all the things Rutherford said in the last several months about why Boudreau is the head coach, you get the sense that it's not because Rutherford necessarily had the call on that. And, and I think that's pretty obvious. And, you know, you mentioned those other teams. I'll, I'll, first of all, we should say that, you know, Winnipeg is a shock. I, I really, stunning. really, really did not think that Rick Bonus was going to come in there and have the – 
um, the impact that he's had. But, I mean, you know, they, they maybe just needed a new sheriff in town, and he came in and he, cha- he challenged the, the uh, leadership structure of that team by, by taking the C off a wheeler and, and did all those things, and, and it seems to have made a difference so far. And, they, and, they, and he's also done a really smart thing, which is to activate their defense and get them more involved in the mm-hmm. offense, which I think was something that was really lacking there. Um, but the other thing about that, too, though, is that all those coaching changes were given – the runway of the preseason and the runway of the offseason and a chance to come in um, and, and put their stamp on the team in different ways, but then also come in and have their, those guys as ears at a time when they did not have a single win or single loss on the season. And yeah. that's a real difference between coming in in the offseason and coming in during the season. Yeah, sometimes you get that Craig Berube or Dan Bilesma moment where somebody comes in is the perfect guy for that moment for a really talented team and they take off. Um, but more often than not, like you have a team that's already underwater that might respond briefly, but has already kind of dug itself a hole to the point of not being able to dig out of it, which is kind of what happened when Boudreaux got hired. So, you know, there, there is an inherent difference between the success we're seeing with Dallas and Winnipeg and Boston and, and Vegas and what we could see in, a, in an in-season coaching change. All right, Wish, that's enough hockey talk. America, England, they will play on Friday at the World Cup. What are your expectations for this American side? Well, having watched the Wales match yesterday, uh, and and the day set up really nice, boys. I had morning skate, then I found a pub, ate a plate of fries, drank a couple (laughs) beers, then went and covered the game last night. So, I mean, it really... (laughs) USA! USA! (laughs) Let's have a World Cup every year. Um, Listen, it is a young team. Uh, It is... uh, Their inexperience certainly showed in that that Wales match. Um, But it's also a very talented team. And so, do I give them a shot at beating England? Of course I do. I, I think that this is a team that can hang... With, with a lot of people in this tournament, but when it comes to the handling adversity part or, you know, all of a sudden you're not controlling, you know, play as much as you did earlier in the game, it's not coming as easy, there definitely was a little bit of panic on, on their part. And, and obviously with a team like England, uh, you, you panic and, and you're toast. Um, so do I want – do I think they could win? Of course. And we have a really good record against England in, like, wars. Um, So we'll see what happens. (laughs) It's actually really exciting to think about not only this World Cup with the Americans and the Canadian team being there, but they're both young squads in terms of their key players. Like, Alfonso Davies is still pretty young, and, and I know the American team is, like, the second youngest at the tournament. So hosting in 2020. just excited right now for the tournament yeah and and again like the Wales match ending in a, in a in a tie wasn't the worst thing in the world for the americans like they, they still have a pretty clear path to advance and and that to me was to, to speak to your point like that's the key like get out of group play you know play play important elimination round games get that experience next time round you, you got a bunch of guys that'll be a few years older and 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 have this in the back in their back pocket, like that's kind of where the bar was set for this 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 team. And and you know if they they pull out rabbit out of their hat against England, the more the, the, the better because 
again, like as an American who, who likes soccer, but isn't necessarily, you know, as in the weeds in it as I am for the NFL or, or for the NHL, um, the bigger moments that we can have as a soccer nation, the better it's going to be to rope in those people that like the sport and, and maybe, you know, tune in occasionally to, to the Premier League or, or, you know, big events like the Women's World Cup or things like that, but don't necessarily, you know, make time for a USA-England match in the afternoon on a Friday, which everyone should, because again, you can drink two beers and have a plate of fries, which I think is really <laughs> speaking as an American, uh, something that we should all aspire to, uh, during the day. And again, I understand that I have a, a very unique job. I'm not a nine to fiver. Yeah. That being said, let's pretend you get a tummy ache, go have two beers and a plate of fries, go watch the Americans in England. <laughs> Wish you're the best, bud. Thanks for doing this. We and appreciate ha- it. Happy Thanksgiving to you. Wish, yes. And well. enjoy. Oh, thank-, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Sorry. Thank you. And remember boys, 77% of the teams that are in playoff spots on Thanksgiving uh, make the playoffs. So best of luck, Vancouver. <laughs> All right. I now rescind my happy Thanksgiving. <laughs> See you, bud. Have a good See one. You, buddy. Uh, that's Greg Wyshynski from ESPN here on the Halford & Brough Show on Sportsnet 650. He's talking about England-USA on Friday, 11 a.m. kickoff our time. A reminder, uh, Bruff and I will be in attendance at the Hollywood Theater. It's uh, Broadway in beautiful Kitsilano. Broadway and Trutch, I think, is across the street, if I'm not mistaken. I went down there for the first time yesterday to check out the venue, and I hadn't seen it since it's done its big renovation. That is an awesome place to watch sports. He's not just saying it. No, no, no. Huge screen, great sound system, bars. That's pretty much the big three. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun uh, tomorrow for Canada and Belgium. Uh, still tickets available for England, USA on Friday. That could be your kick off your weekend. Yeah. Like that. Take the day off work or at least just go in there and just be like, oh, I got to go home. You and can then ha- just go watch England, USA. It's going to be a great atmosphere for all the England supporters out there. We'll have all the English music playing, Three Lions, Vindaloo. Yes. If you enjoy that. Yeah, I believe there's going to be a giveaway as well. Some signed merch, some signed swag. Uh, We'll do a giveaway as well for some tickets and some other goodies for the Friday match. Uh, We'll either do that today or tomorrow. I don't know yet. That's why we're going to keep you hanging on the edge of your seat. The drama of the Halford and Bruff show. But uh, it's going to be a fun week in general. Again, by the way, if you haven't gone or you've got some time and you want to go watch matches, just go to the Hollywood Theater. Like They are open at 8 o'clock every morning. And it's just football on the screen. So yesterday we went by for the tail end of the Senegal-Netherlands match. And there was, it was a handful of uh, Dutch supporters there who came in, watch a match, and then go. And then there's another one up at 11 o'clock. So it is really just this terrific portal to kind of duck in and duck out whenever you please. They got food trucks outside. You ate at one of the food trucks yesterday. Yeah, I had a great egg sandwich. Yeah, so it's got everything you could possibly need. It's super chill, very relaxing. There's tons of space. Go check it out. Hollywood Theater uh, in beautiful Kitsilano on Broadway. We got a lot more to get into on this program. Uh, 7 o'clock hour, uh, we've got two guests. We're going to try and get a hold of Josh Cloak from Qatar. He, of course, is the athletic soccer writer uh, based out of Canada in Qatar for the World Cup. But on the Side, 7 o'clock, Adam Maglio is going to join us. He is the associate coach of the WHL Vancouver Giants. We'll ask him about this big week up ahead for the Giants. The Connor Bedard show rolls into town. Uh, there's a lot to get into with him uh, as we go to the WHL for the first time this season. Uh, lots more to get to on the show. 8 o'clock is what we learned. Sorry, 8.30 is what we learned. So don't forget those as well. Uh, Dunbar Lumber text line is 650-650. You are listening to the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650.